have their place, but it seems to me that our medicine would be much strengthened if we made greater use of that Chinese orientation. That is, if we thought about how to increase body defenses rather than just counteracting what we perceive to be the agent of disease. This applies to problems other than just infectious disease. For example, if you look at a very common condition that's treated by physicians in our culture today, gastroesophageal reflux disorder or GERD, you know, this is a condition in which acid produced by the stomach refluxes into and erodes, irritates the lining of the lower esophagus, causing pain, discomfort, interfering with eating. The standard way that conventional medicine treats this is to prescribe powerful drugs that suppress acid production in the stomach. There's another approach to this disorder, which is to think about how to increase the resistance of that tissue to any acid that might happen to be there. There is, for example, an herbal extract called DGL, deglycerizinated licorice, made from licorice root, which has the ability to increase the mucus coating of the lining of the stomach and the esophagus. So if you take DGL in powdered or chewable tablet form, before meals, it makes the lining of the esophagus more resistant to any acid that might splash up in there. That, to me, is a more sensible kind of therapeutic approach. You're working with the body's own natural defenses. When you apply one of these strong counteractive measures, the problem is, first, that if you stop using that, you're going to get a rebound effect. There's going to be more acid produced than there was before. And in addition, these very strong drugs often have toxic effects because they're so powerful. So understanding the body's own natural defenses and knowing how to protect them and work with them, I think, is a key aspect of self-reliance in matters of health of leaning towards treatments that are more natural, more gentle, safer. And to do this, you have to have an understanding of the workings of your body's immune system and knowing how to protect it. Now, the immune system is capable of learning. It learns by interactions with agents of disease. It engages in fights and battles, and it comes out of these stronger. A lot of this happens in early childhood, you know, the common kinds of infections that kids get, whether sore throats, ear infections, croups, infectious diarrhea. This is all part of the immune system meeting things in the environment that are potentially dangerous and developing strategies for neutralizing them. And there is, I think, an evolution that goes on between the immune system and these agents of disease. It's something like the situation that you see that happens with burglars and security systems. You know, every time we figure out a better security system, burglars get better at getting through them. So there's this constant escalation, and the same thing happens with human immunity. Some germs, like the virus that causes influenza, are very good at mutating to elude the human immune system. And every time the immune system encounters one form of the influenza virus and develops immunity to it, the influenza virus changes and can come back and cause disease again. So there is this constant dynamic interaction that goes on between the immune system and pathogens. In addition, the immune system is defending against things that can go wrong in your body itself, independent of any germs that might be out there. For example, there is a function called immune surveillance in which the immune system is constantly checking your body, reading things in your body to make sure that nothing is wrong. If a cell turns malignant as a result of a mutation, for example, or interaction with a carcinogen, that malignant cell 
posts notices on its surface. Its surface molecules change, so there's a sign there that says, I'm malignant. And the immune system has the capability of recognizing such cells and weeding them out, destroying them before they can multiply and form tumors that can threaten the general health of the body. So the immune system has many functions. It's there to maintain the integrity of the body. It's there to identify and remove cells that are malfunctioning. It's there to identify and defend against external threats to the body. And it's doing this all the time. And while we may become most concerned with the immune system or pay most attention to it when we're sick or facing a crisis, its more important job may be the unnoticed day-to-day activity that is helping keep us in good general health. Health is a dynamic balance. It's a constant balancing act that's going on in which we have to take account of and deal with all of the complex forces that are impinging on us from within and without. And it's the immune system that's largely responsible for that. So most of the operations of the immune system are invisible to us. We don't even notice it. But it's doing its work all the time. And it's that ordinary day-to-day invisible kind of work, which is incredibly important. So let's look at some of the things that can affect immunity. I have already referred to this some in talking to you about eating, but let me again repeat that eating the right kinds of foods can make a huge difference in immune function. And the particular category of foods that I'd zero in here are the fats, because the kinds of fats that you eat can determine the production of hormones produced by cells of the immune system. Let me summarize this for you as easily as I can. Inflammation is one way that the immune system produces a healing response. Now, we often think of inflammation as being disease, as a symptom, as something that shouldn't be there. But actually, inflammation is an aspect of the body's healing response. Inflammation is the mechanism by which the body gets more blood and more immune cells to an area that's been injured damaged, which is under attack in some way. In its place, for the right period of time, inflammation is part of the healing response. Inflammation becomes a problem only when it doesn't stop when it's supposed to or when it spreads to beyond the area where it's supposed to be or if it occurs in areas where there's no problem. In those cases, inflammation is a problem. It produces pain, swelling, redness, impairment of function, and it's a problem in itself. Because inflammation is such a powerful reaction, the body has very elaborate mechanisms of regulating it. It's controlled by a series of hormones, hormones like prostaglandins and leukotrienes. And these always come in two classes. There are hormones that boost inflammation and hormones that suppress inflammation. And the balance of these two hormones is what keeps inflammation occurring just where it's supposed to occur. When inflammation occurs where it's not supposed to occur, when it goes on for too long, when it occurs in normal tissues, it's often as a result of imbalance in the hormones that regulate it. Those hormones are synthesized from particular kinds of fats, from the essential fatty acids. And there are two classes of these, the omega-3 fatty acids and the omega-6 fatty acids. They're the ones that mostly come from seeds and nuts. They're the ones that are prominent in refined vegetable oils. The omega-3 fatty acids are harder to find. They're in the fatty fish. 
They're in walnuts, flax seeds, hemp seeds, you know, a few other sources. Now, we need both of these classes of fatty acids in balance. It's been estimated that in Paleolithic times, back in the Stone Age, that the ratio of these two classes of essential fats were about equal, about one-to-one. In the modern diet, it's estimated that we're eating omega-6 fats to omega-3 fats in the ratio of about 20 to 1 to 40 to 1, so a vast imbalance in the direction of far more omega-6 fats, which are relatively easy to get in the diet. And what's accounted for this is particularly the flooding of the modern diet with refined vegetable oils. Also, another fact is that not that long ago, the animals that we raised for food were grazing animals that fattened on grasses, which contain low levels of omega-3 fatty acids. Now our domestic animals are fattened on grains, which are omega-6 sources. The important thing for you to know is that in general, the omega-6 fatty acids lead to the production of hormones that increase inflammation, whereas the omega-3 fatty acids result in the production of the hormones that moderate or damp down inflammation. And I think this is crucially important in looking at how diet influences one very key aspect of immune function. If the diet is lopsided in omega-6 fatty acids, as it is in most people, this is a pro-inflammatory diet. If the diet is high in omega-3 fatty acids, this is an anti-inflammatory diet. Now, one of the very interesting ideas I see out there on the medical frontier that I would say keep your eye on is the possibility that inflammation may be the root cause of many kinds of chronic degenerative disease. I mean, obviously, we recognize inflammation in conditions like rheumatoid arthritis, for example. But there is a general feeling now that inflammation is a root of coronary artery disease, that, in fact, it may be a more basic cause than cholesterol deposition in arteries. In fact, that the deposit of cholesterol may be a flawed healing response of the body that's trying to patch areas of arteries that are damaged by inflammation. You know, what causes that misplaced inflammation? Certainly one possibility is eating a pro-inflammatory diet. There is recognition that inflammation is a root of Alzheimer's disease. This is one reason why anti-inflammatory drugs like Motrin have been shown to reduce the risk of Alzheimer's disease. Again, a possibility here that a lifelong consumption of a pro-inflammatory diet may predispose to that kind of condition. So I would say just keep your eye on that idea. It's out there now that inflammation may be a common root of much chronic degenerative disease. And if that's the case, one cause of it could be eating a pro-inflammatory diet. So this is one example of how diet can have a significant influence on immunity. The other dietary element that I would take a look at is the antioxidants. For example, the fact that fruits and vegetables are the major sources of antioxidants. Antioxidants are significant protectors of the immune system. The components of the immune system are very susceptible to damage by the kinds of active molecules called free radicals generated by oxidation reactions in the body and by exposure to environmental toxins. Antioxidants help neutralize any damage caused by free radicals. Free radicals are also generated by exposure to radiation. And radiation is one of the most harmful influences on immunity. 
We use radiation therapeutically in the treatment of cancer. We use it diagnostically in taking x-rays. But there is, I think, great recognition now that ionizing radiation, the kind that can knock electrons out of orbits of atoms, is extremely dangerous. It's dangerous because it promotes cancer. That may be an indirect effect as a result of knocking out immune defenses as well as a direct effect of promoting malignant transformation of cells. It's very important to understand the possible sources of radiation in the environment and to protect yourself from them. Some of those you can't protect yourself from all the time. Another strategy, and this is really the Chinese approach again, is to boost body defenses by making sure that you have plenty of antioxidants circulating around your system. In the same way, the immune system is very susceptible to chemical toxicity. There's a whole range of chemicals in the environment. It's all the pesticides and herbicides, residues of agrochemicals on foods, dyes, poisons, chemicals that are used in the manufacture of plastics, in the tanning of leather. There are a lot of industrial chemicals that are toxic and that can cause damage to the bone marrow, especially to rapidly dividing cells, which most immune cells are. In some cases, we can limit exposure to these things by being careful about having water purifiers in our house, by not keeping these kinds of toxic chemicals around the home. But the news is very discouraging about how widespread these chemicals are in the environment. You know, even analysis of the body fat of Greenland Eskimos, people who live in a pristine environment, have shown very high levels of some of the most dangerous of these toxic chemicals, the PCBs, for example. It gets to them because they eat marine mammals. They eat the flesh and fat of seals and walruses, for example, which concentrate these chemicals in the ocean. Fish, which I've recommended as a good food, something that we should include in our diet, is much more of a concern because fish often live at the tops of food chains and accumulate chemicals that are dumped into the oceans. The fact is that we have polluted the waters and earth and air of our planet. A lot of these things find their way into our systems. A lot of these are very harmful to our immunity. We can try to limit exposure to them as much as we can. Another strategy is to boost our defenses by making sure that we have plenty of antioxidants. The easiest way to do this is to eat a great variety, abundance of fruits and vegetables, as well as taking a basic antioxidant formula by using things like green tea in our diet on a regular basis. All of this is protection of the immune system against kinds of environmental agents, radiation and chemicals that can generate free radicals, these very toxic molecules produced by oxidation reactions. It is also important to be very careful about the use of drugs that can suppress immunity. There are drugs that are used in the treatment of cancer and that are used to 